0: Morning and welcome to Midpoint, your source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm Shelley Reback. I'm here with Jessica Green running the soundboard and Barbara Fling who will be answering your calls. Today, we will be talking about something that just doesn't add up. The Florida Department of Education's rejection of 54 math textbooks, taking the availability of math instructional materials down to one single publisher. This is a real problem for some Florida school districts. Some school systems want printed math books, but they say the one remaining option, STEM scopes by Accelerate Learning, provides mostly online digital lessons. That worries teachers who want children to learn to solve math problems by hand and show their work. It is also a challenge for districts that don't have laptops for every child. Also, 9 of Florida's 10 biggest school districts, including Pinellas and Orange Counties, which altogether, the 10 combined to educate about 60% of the state's more than 2.8 million students, these counties have already selected their textbooks, and they're now rejected by the state. These school districts wanted printed textbooks with an option for students to access the digital versions. Unfortunately, the Hillsborough County School System did pick STEM Scopes, the the digital-only option, but along with three other rejected textbooks. But the other large districts made other choices. Fortunately, Florida's law remains clear. It is individual school boards, not state officials, that ultimately have the responsibility for selecting instructional materials for their districts and a district may spend up to 50% of its state funds for books that are not on the department's list of recommended titles. So what will happen to these large districts that do not follow DeSantis' rules on buying textbooks? Will they be punished again, like they were for their mask mandates? We will see. Why were the textbooks rejected anyway? The state has been very cagey about its reasons. On April 15th, the state claimed many of them tried to, quote, indoctrinate students with the inappropriate inclusion of critical race theory or other, quote, prohibited topics, close quote, and, quote, unsolicited strategies. It's ironic that a school system would be talking about, quote, prohibited topics, Um, nowhere should be more open than the education system. But the Florida Department of Education provided no actual examples of specific problems in any of the rejected textbooks. Last week, however, the Department of Ed finally posted four pages of examples from math textbooks that were banned from classrooms, citing prohibited topics such as references to critical race theory inclusions of Common Core, and the unsolicited edition of Social Emotional Learning, S-E-L, in mathematics. The New York Times also got a hold of some additional pages from Florida school districts of math textbooks that were banned, and the Times reviewed them in an article on April 22nd. Most of the banned books did not mention race at all, but several, several of them contained examples of social-emotional learning, which the education department seeks to block, according to the Times. Social-emotional learning is a concept that teaches students how to manage their emotions, develop empathy, solve problems, and make decisions. One page from a banned textbook acquired by the New York Times depicts a math word problem that shows children how to support a friend who is worried about crossing a bridge in a jungle by instilling confidence in him. While social-emotional learning was once thought of as a non-controversial topic of instruction, some right-wing activists have now rallied against the method in the state of Florida. A Mr. Chris Rufo, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which is a conservative think tank, told the New York Times that while social-emotional learning sounds positive and uncontroversial in theory, in practice, he said, social-emotional learning serves as a delivery mechanism for radical pedagogies such as critical race theory and gender deconstructionism. The intention of social-emotional learning, he said, is to soften children at an emotional level reinterpret their normative behavior as an expression of repression, whiteness, or internalized racism, and then rewire their behavior according to the dictates of left-wing ideology. Wow. Okay, then. All this from a math problem. We really need to talk about this. Luckily, we have two terrific guests to help us understand more about these issues, with us in the studio is Dr. India White, PhD in education, a national educational consultant, and a teacher of the year in two different counties, along with being an author, motivational speaker, and entrepreneur. Welcome, Dr. White. Welcome to WMNF. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We also have Reagan Miller with us. Reagan is a Pinellas County School parent. She's here as an activist with the Florida Freedom to Read Project. The Florida Freedom to Read Project believes that school libraries and public school curricula should allow all children to access information and ideas that speak to them and that may give them insight into a lived experience unlike their own. We're happy to have you with us, Reagan.
1: Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. So where to begin?
0: Governor DeSantis has said we shouldn't have any social-emotional learning in math because it is just a distraction. He says kids only need to learn to get the right answer. Math teachers don't need to be psychologists, too. There is some surface appeal to that position, isn't there, especially in an educational environment so focused on testing and standardized answers to questions. But maybe we ought to get some more information before we weigh in on it, listeners. I'd like to know what is social-emotional learning in math, and why do we need it? Dr. White, can you help us with that? Sure, so this is the big elephant in the room, right? Everybody's
2: been asking that question. So socio-emotional learning, it is a tool that is allowed for communication, for relationship building to grow and cultivate into exactly what every learner needs for him or her to be successful, um, we define social emotional learning as an integral part of education um, and human development um, for the process of learning. It also helps students to acquire their knowledge, skills, and attitudes that they need to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve personal and collective goals, feel and show empathy for others, also establishing supportive relationships and making responsible and caring decisions.
0: Well, uh that's interesting, but it does seem a little jargony and I want wh- I want to focus on how social emotional learning helps kids get to the right answer in math, if in fact it does, because that seems to be the governor's objection to it. It according to him it's a big distraction. It doesn't help kids learn Math. It doesn't help their them to focus on multiplication tables or things like that. So I'll share two things.
2: Um, Durek at, at L and their study. They conducted a meta analysis of 213 based universal school and emotional or social and emo- emotional learning support, um, and they found that over 270 thousand kindergartners um, through high school students that they worked with that they actually had an 11 percentile of an academic gain and achievement that took place because they were using um socio-emotional support so let me tell you where socio-emotional um, learning do. really has I guess impact so as a math coach a math teacher administrator we used to give the FSA FCAT all that right and what we found was that once students were getting ready to take the test whether it was weeks before or even the day of, students were having such test anxiety that they would either miss school, they would throw up, they would put their head down depressed, they would need a counselor, they would not finish the test. And as a result, teachers, math teachers in particular, were starting to wring their hands and say, what are we supposed to do? I didn't go to college for this. I went to college, I got a major in math, whatever. And I went to school for education, I got my teacher certification. So why am I now all of a sudden dealing with a kid that's having a a panic attack or a kid that's struggling and now they can't, they're having a, a breathing attack. They're suffering from anxiety so much that we have to call EMS and get those kids to the hospital. I've seen that here. In, even in Hillsborough County, I've seen
0: that. I've heard it. I, I've heard it myself. Yeah. Reagan, you must, as a school parent, you must have heard that, too, from uh, different parents whose kids have gone through that kind of test anxiety. And, and that kind of test anxiety really uh, doesn't necessarily reflect on the educational level of the kid who's being tested. In other words, there are kids who do great in, in, in class, but yet they have enormous test anxiety. So is it your, is it your belief, uh, Dr. White, that the social-emotional learning um, component of math education helps with that, helps kids to avoid that kind of extreme test anxiety so that they can perform better in solving problems and, and taking tests? Because right now, taking tests is the way, especially in Florida, we seem to measure, measure educational achievement mostly only through taking tests.
2: So in socio-emotional learning is not just for assessments, right? And like I just spoke to you guys, there was 11 percentile gain, academic gain, which, which, by the way, in perspective, we try to get at least a year or like a point worth of a gain, like a year's worth of a gain for, but for students. But isn't that so get 11 through huge. Yes, this was through, this was through assessment, um, and so the reason why I think that You can actually benefit, students can benefit with socio-emotional learning supports um, is because it helps students with self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making, relationship skills, and social awareness. So it's building the whole child. However, at the same time, we don't want to spend so much time on it that it takes away from the main idea of testing and assessment. But how do you get a student to become a learner that's competent and confident and they can assert themselves at that moment, and not crumble in the face of fear? Well, it's through those supports. So then my only question would be, if we take away socio-emotional learning, what are we going to complement it with then? What are we going to replace it with so that our students can still succeed? Because in math classes everywhere, I've taught for several years, and students always say, oh, I'm not good at math. I can't stand math. I hate math. I can't do it. Stop, miss. I can't do it. Just You're get talking the to me, away from me, Dr.
0: White. Right? are talking so, to me. So then
2: what happens when you get that final exam, right? And then all those fears hit you and you're like, oh my word, oh my word, my mom wasn't Good, my dad wasn't good, I'm not good, my friends aren't good, I just failed, I got a 60% last week. What do you think is gonna happen when the FSA sits in front of them? Or now the new tests, which are your um, your progress monitoring benchmark tests that he's now doing, the FAST tests, what's gonna happen when those students, you know, have those tests, even quarterly or whatnot, they're still gonna have anxiety. And the problem has been this. There are not enough school supports to help resource um, school psychologists. Guidance counselors, they are short staffed. They are overwhelmed. When I was an administrator here in Hillsborough County, those guidance counselors worked their tails off and they were not enough. We had students, even as administrator, we had to work with guidance counselors because students were suicidal. Students were saying, oh, I, I, this would be a great day to leave. This would be a great day to not
0: exist anymore. You're only 16 saying this to us, dead serious. And that seems to have increased as a result of COVID or at least post-COVID, those kind of feelings and and mental health uh, challenges, especially in teens. Have really increased uh, since COVID. Well, what do you think, listeners, now that you know what social emotional learning is, do we need it in math instruction? Or should we just teach kids to just memorize their times tables and move on? Uh, Give us a call at 813-239-9663. Email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Tell us what you think. Reagan, you're a public school parent. Um, Now that we've gotten um, educated (laughs) about uh, what social-emotional learning is and why, uh, according to Dr. White, at least um, many educators feel we need it, uh, what do you think as a parent um, about it?
1: No, as a parent, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the classroom. I volunteered, and 18 kids don't walk into a kindergarten class, a first-grade class all the same. They are from different backgrounds. They have different views. And I like to refer to it as simply meeting these kids where they are and allowing them to grow. And you brought up a great point in that we're gonna start this new progress monitoring testing and it's gonna start in August. And how defeating is that gonna be for kids when these scores aren't, you know, probably what they're expecting in August. You know, they're, they're coming off of a summer break and they're not doing as well as they could. And how defeating is that to see, oh my gosh, I'm not good in math anymore. And so to be able to tell those kids, hey, you are good and, and, and look, you thought of it this way and your friend over here didn't think of it this way. And there's nothing wrong with thinking, with, with finding two different ways to come to a solution.
0: So a memo was sent to all the school districts in June of 2021 by the state's head of public schools and in it Chancellor Jacob Olivia advised the textbook advised textbook publisher publishers to, quote, not incorporate unsolicited strategies such as social-emotional learning and culturally responsive teaching in instructional materials. I guess we should we should learn, what is culturally responsive teaching, Dr. White? Can you help us with that?
2: So culturally responsive teaching is when you're able to incorporate the culture of learners, their diversity, and celebrate those differences so that they feel like they're a part of instruction. They feel like they can see themselves at different levels. Um, Areas of learning and that they can achieve. So, for example, if if I am effectively using culturally relevant teaching in a classroom, the students are going. Students of color, in particular, or students whoever of the diverse background, they're going to feel like I just because I'm different doesn't mean that I cannot succeed. Or they're going to feel like, you know what, I might be different, but guess what? I am still a mathematician. I am still competent. I can still soar. I still understand my learning. And the thing is, when you celebrate various cultures of learning, that makes students want to be a part of that class and have a sense of belonging to where they feel like, wow i i am contributing to this lesson that impacts the metacognition so much so for example if i write a math textbook and i say um, michael jordan was shooting three hoops at five you know five seconds you know per hoop whatever how many how many hoops did he shoot something like that i don't know but just putting michael, putting jordan, michael in the jordan in the makes, yes that makes the student feel like oh wow or putting Okay, Beyonce had to travel 2000 miles to get to her next performance. Um, however, she took a stop, you know, halfway. Well, how much longer does she have to go? Well, the students that can relate to Beyonce, you know, and it doesn't have to just be, you know, of the African American descent. It could be of any ethnic descent because what we have found was that yes, we do desire and aspire for cultural assimilation. When you, you know, when you're in America, you want to embrace American cultures and traditions. That's great. However, there is a Bonus when you're trying to get students engaged that are culturally different to impact them with culturally
0: responsive, culturally relevant teaching. So well, anything that yeah. hel- that helps kids have more enthusiasm right. about learning, how can that be a bad thing? And it's it's
2: humanizing. It, it's strengthens who they are. And the thing is like we we've had conversations about the pictures like I used to be on textbook adoptions. We used to be have pictures about our conversations about the pictures in the textbook. What were the people of color doing? Were they in aspiring roles like were they African American lawyers? Were they uh, Hispanic doctors? Were they, you know, Asian um, descent uh, professionals in business? Like what were we emulating or what were we insinuating um in the textbooks to our learners because if all we're doing is saying okay african-american people are you know working as um you know some lower end field then what's going to happen it can have um a psychological impact on students of color right to where they feel like they can't be a lawyer because they've never seen it in their textbook or they've never heard of anyone, you know what I mean, in, in society
0: that, right. um,
2: being I, that. So I,
0: I want to bring up an example that I found in doing research for this show. Uh, apparently, um, one of the uh, one of the websites that's been looking at these rejected textbooks, popular information obtained um, the M slash J grade eight mathematics pre-algebra, which was the only middle school math textbook that was rejected for including, quote, prohibited topics. Almost all of the textbook is comprised of pre-algebra problems for eighth graders. But the book also encourages students to actively participate, to persevere, and to keep a positive mindset. And this focus on self-confidence could be considered social-emotional learning. It also had little uh, sidebars about uh, short historical summaries of certain mathematicians from different backgrounds, including uh, a math history minute about Albert Frank Cox who in 1925 became the first African American to earn a PhD in mathematics and then it goes on to talk a little bit about Mr. Cox and his education history um and after he retired, Howard University established a scholarship fund in his name to encourage young African-Americans to pursue graduate studies in mathematics. I imagine that that's the type of thing that you're talking about, Dr. Yes, White, exactly. to, to see these, these type of examples. Um, this particular book was rejected, um, and it included several other short historical summaries of mathematicians from other different cultural backgrounds, including James Garfield, and an East Asian mathematician named Liu Hui, um, but the concern was that these historical vignettes were viewed as examples of critical race theory. Um, and uh, according to you know the critics of the Department of Education's decision to reject this book, this content is consistent with the Florida Department of Education's multicultural representation requirement. For all 2021 and 2022 instructional materials in K through 12 math, um, and you know, learning about famous mathematicians is not a form of indoctrination. So let me turn to you, Reagan. Again, as a public school parent whose kids are learning, uh, are learning math. What are you hearing from parents about these uh, efforts to restrict this type of uh, learning? In uh, math instruction, and it seems like at school board meetings lately, we only hear from you know the critics of these concepts that Dr. White has has discussed with us. We only hear from the people wanting to suppress these things. Um, but and we hear from the people in favor of more banning of books and and more banning of teaching of history, erasing LGBTQ kids. So uh, let me ask you tell us about the Florida freedom to read project, why it was started, what it's trying to do and what is the attitude from some of the parents that you've been working with toward this math uh, issue
1: right and I'll, I, I'll tell you a little bit about Florida freedom to read in a minute but The the parents that I work with are are very frustrated. Um, I mean, they are erasing part of our curriculum. And quite honestly, people are not showing up at school board meetings anymore because the opposite side has got, you know, I've been called names that I will not repeat on the air. Um, our yeah, teachers, don't do that. It'll <laughs> endanger our license. No, our <laughs> teachers are being called names. They're being accused of things that are, you know, unthinkable. And and we're frustrated. And we want to, you know, this is just another thing that we're shaking our heads saying, really, is this, is this really happening? And as Florida's far as Florida Freedom to Read, it started, you know, as these book banning, because you've seen they've evolved, you know, through different topics. I think, you know, it started with masks, 1619 projects, there's all different things that they've come after. CRT is one of them. Um, And so the the book banning became popular um, within the last several months. And
0: so Florida Freedom to Read, is that a statewide organization now? Yes. And so anybody who is... um, against book bans or these type of uh, restrictions um,
1: on educational we're we're against book bans but we if a book does you know if a book is not appropriate for children it needs to go through the right channels we I see. Wa- you, we want people to look at things you know i know that there's a i believe there's a case in south florida where someone's trying to get the bible out and we don't think that books should just be pulled from shelves immediately they have to go through the review process you know we believe fair discussions should be had and you know, that, that children should should have access to books that, you know, that of people that look like them, of people that feel like them, and that someone's right, you know, if someone doesn't want their child to read a book, that shouldn't deny my child a right to read a book.
0: And so I would imagine that one of the things your organization promotes is to have people that are open um, to these different ideas and to having the broadest possible curricula and the broadest possible access to information in schools serve on these type of review committees. Absolutely. So that if in your county you become aware that there is a review committee, um, maybe your organization is involved in in helping people apply to be on that committee and to, um, you know, to sit in, in, I guess, judgment over these type of books. Yes. Um, Let me take a call from Fran, who's been very patient. Fran and Largo, you're on the line. Oh, thank you. Uh, This concerns uh, the math books. And I know last probably last week, a few days ago, on WMNF, I heard
3: about some guy in Texas, he's a politician, uh, and I'm not sure, he's, he's holding some office. I wish I had paid more attention and written his name down in his office that he holds. But anyways, it sounds like there's some
0: kind of a sweetheart deal going on about uh, the publishing of
4: the math books that this guy in Texas has something to do with, and they would use them
3: uh, in Florida, uh, exclusively his published he, him and his publishing company they would use those books and
0: fly well it's so. been it thanks for, for pointing that out Fran yeah. it has okay, been re- okay,
4: I'll, I'll let you go
0: now <laughs> thank you it has been reported uh in the New York Times and elsewhere that we're now down to one approved uh publisher for math instructional materials um, and that is the, um, what is it, Accenture?
1: Accelerate, Accelerate Learning. Accelerate
0: Learning. And that that is a company that is apparently owned by uh, the Carlisle Group, which yes. is a big private equity fund that for the last 25 years was uh, run by the CEO was um, Youngkin, who's the governor of what is he the governor of? Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, he's the governor of Virginia now. And he's, uh, uh, you know, pretty radical conservative. And um, and I imagine that he still holds stock in, in, in that company, that he is still an investor and he has some financial relationship to it. Um, you know, I, I also expect that we'll be learning more as reporters, investigative reporters, follow the money in connection with this um, attempt to make Accelerate Learning the only publisher, um, approved publisher for, for textbooks. I, I imagine if we follow the money, we'll see some kind of grift involved here because that does seem to be a pattern in connection with Florida uh, you know, uh, school uh, expense, the way that, that that school expenses are budgeted in the, in the state budget. You know, we've seen so much fu- funding diverted to charter schools where political right. leaders or their wives uh, serve in positions of either ownership or management or somehow they're making money right. off that. And uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we see more of a grift on that. I do have a PSA that I'd like to... Um, to talk to our listeners about um, because this is important. If you're listening to WMNF, then you know how important it is that we get support from our community. And these are the last few hours of the Giving Challenge. WMNF is taking part in this special Giving Day, which is sponsored by the Community Foundation of Sarasota County and the Patterson Foundation. So, from now through noon today your donations up to $100 will be doubled. So go to thegivingchallenge.org and search for WMNF. And there's more information about this at WMNF.org. So if you appreciate WMNF, please participate in the Giving Challenge. We would certainly be grateful. So uh, again, Reagan... um, I want to uh, point out that in one of the examples posted on the state's website, there were bar graphs used to measure racial prejudices by age and by political identification, and that those bar graphs were incorporated into a math problem. And that would seem to be a direct violation of that June memo that the state's head of public schools sent to the publishers. But as a parent of a white child, do you have any issues with math problems that actually address racial prejudice right within the text of the problem? Um, Is it a distraction like Governor DeSantis claims? Uh, Is it a distraction to math education? Or is it another opportunity to also educate kids about the reality of racial prejudice?
1: Well, I want to first point out that the books that the examples are from are advanced math courses. And so those are primarily adolescents that are ages 16 to 18 that are seeing those math problems. And those adolescents are right on the verge of, of being adults and going to college and living in the real world. And these are real world topics that they're discussing. And so I absolutely think they should be incorporated. I think that You know, schools are a safe place to start this dialogue, to have this dialogue, especially at at that age. So I'm, I'm happy to see those in there.
0: All right. And so uh, the new, you know, in Florida, this is such a hot button issue because we have had in this legislative session, the new anti-critical race theory and the uh, stop woke legislation that was passed this this past session, um, where the state wants all topics like racial prejudice and any LGBTQ issues to be completely banned from discussion in our schools. Um, it's the legislation purports to be relevant only through the early years of education, but the text of the legislation is not uh, specific like that. And it it just talks about it being age appropriate, that these concepts be age appropriate. Um, So in math problems, really, what's the harm in including socially relevant issues in math problems? You know, Dr. White, if we wanted to promote equity in education... And I'm pretty convinced that Governor DeSantis does not want to promote equity in education. But if we did, is there a value to including this type of uh, math, uh, this type of information in a math problem, like the bar graph that I talked about in that one example that showed... Uh, measures of racial racial prejudices by age and political identification pursuant to surveys that were conducted. Um, is there a value to including this type of information in a math problem? It depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. I think that, um,
2: and I just speak on my my own behalf, that problem I think was a little extreme mm-hmm. um, because the question was like, what, you know, racist, who, me, you know. There's a time and a place to discuss these things. And I think that when students are simply just trying to learn a math problem and then they see that, I could see how if the teacher doesn't have classroom management and the students don't really get along and if race is an issue within that particular school, how that class could, you know, have some distractions talking about race and it could it could divide and it could take away from metacognition. However, um, I think that if you're talking about equity, which is not critical race theory, those are totally different. Tell us about that. So- Equity, uh, I'm going to give you the NCTM's definition. because What's NCTM? National Council of Teachers in Mathematics. Okay. Um, and so their definition is to provide reasonable and appropriate accommodations as necessary while being fair and serving all students as needed in the classroom. So basically, you spoke earlier about how, or we spoke earlier how there weren't any laptops at some of these schools. Mm-hmm. So it when schools are trying to look at curriculum to use, if I am... A school that doesn't have laptops and your program is online only, I have a problem because those students and then even research shows that because of COVID, the laptop usage and internet usage declined drastically it was a significant impact on the nation. Right. And and it was a COVID
0: slide, right? Right. We saw articles about kids doing their lessons on phones. Yes. You know, and having to find even Wi Fi access in public spaces like libraries, because not all homes had internet access. So, is it true, Doctor White, that when we're talking about equity in education, we're not just referring to uh, black-white uh, kind of balance? You're talking like students with disabilities, poverty, gifted, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Students, students of poverty. When poverty doesn't have a race, mm-hmm. students of underserved communities, students in my minority subsets. So, students who don't speak English as yes. their first language. ESL language. Yeah. ESL language learners. Um, You're talking everyone across the board, making the leveraging the playing field Mm -hmm. so everyone can achieve. Equity does not take away from one group to give to another, that is not equity. OK, um, equity basically says, oh, you need a pencil in class today. OK, oh, you need a laptop. Oh, OK, oh, no, I'm like in Oh, OK, I got you. Let me get you somebody, a translator. Oh, you're, you, have, you have a disability, so you need a ramp when you're walking up to the lunchroom. OK, I got you. Let's install a ramp. So all students belong. And all students can succeed and achieve in a classroom and not feel that because they might have a certain hindrance or liability or something that they can't be successful. So that is what equity does. And equity can be accomplished even in a particular demographic where there aren't any other demographics. and you still need equity equity is for everyone so and the reason why is because equity then promotes liberation where people are able to really thrive without boundaries and barriers and hindrances and they can go beyond you know And, and so that's the goal for all learners because we're trying to get them to graduate we're trying to get them to become great citizens in society great citizens in society that's not crt CRT says that due to instructional things, institutional um, systems and laws that were in place throughout the United States, that people of color that were affected by those laws can't get ahead. They can't be as successful as people that were not impacted negatively by those laws. I think that... There has to be an understanding of CRT versus equity when we have these conversations, because CRT is not equity. Equity consultants are not doing the work for CRT. We are simply saying, as equity consultants, we're saying we want to make sure that students feel like they belong, that the playing field is fair, all students can achieve and have the resources that they need as needed for academic success.
0: We have an email here from uh, Jeff who says... If people are from different cultural backgrounds, if people from different cultural backgrounds are mentioned in a math problem, it has no bearing whatsoever on learning math. I've been hearing about this cultural battle, and I know what the government is trying to get at. He needs to give specific examples of whatever it is he's talking about in these textbooks. So, you know, Jeff seems to disagree, Dr. White, with your um, suggestion that if kids see themselves or their cultural background reflected in a math problem, that it 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 doesn't have a bearing on the learning of the math. But I, I I challenge that, Jeff, because I feel like if my kid is sitting there spacing out in a math class, feeling that they're not good in math or whatever, and a uh and a problem comes up with, uh, like you said, a celebrity of some sort, Michael Jordan, Michael or, Jordan or my kid, I remember at that age was like into Ocho Cinco. you yeah. know, <laughs> if you, if you had a problem yeah. that mentioned Ocho Cinco, I know that he oh, yeah. would have sat up and perked up, and, sure. perked up oh, yeah. and paid attention, you know? So I, I challenge you, Jeff. I, I'm not sure that that's, that's actually correct. Um, We have another email from Paul who says, Thank you for clearing up this controversy. Anyone with real concern for our children should support the holistic education of them, guided by education experts, not by politicians. It is another example of the GOP and DeSantis exerting their control over our communities and our personal choices. This must stop. Thanks from Paul that's uh that's that's paul's statement thank you and uh yeah paul so it's ironic isn't it though that uh the republicans who've been controlled the state for over 25 years now uh were once known as the party of personal freedoms and yet here they are trying to control pretty much all aspects of of uh public life here in florida um and we have another email from Tommy who says, if conservatives are so worried about our children being indoctrinated, shouldn't Sunday school be banned? And isn't this all just a gross violation of the First Amendment? Well, Tommy, um, you know, it's interesting, the First Am- your claim about the First Amendment, because, of course, the First Amendment does prohibit government controlling speech, um, but I'm not sure that a fir- a good First Amendment case could be made on, um, on the state controlling the speech of teachers because I think that there's some exceptions, you know, that would apply. What do you think, Dr. White? Well,
2: well there's like, I mean, any educator has to sign a code of ethics. Mm-hmm. So it's expected that when you're in a classroom that you're not talking foolishness and that you're not um, – making students feel bad or abusing students or oppressing students. This is why teachers, you know, they're losing their contracts because they forgot their code of ethics. So um, as an educator, you know, in that mindset, you're very careful about what you say. It's very scripted because you're protecting your learners while giving them the knowledge that you studied, that you know you can relate to them. So, That is the job of an educator. I I remember, you know, I had a student, you know, who he scored a a level one before me, um, and I had him for only a year. And after um, my time with him, and he was a, a student of European descent, but after my time with him, he scored a level five. It was all test anxiety. It was about how I taught. It was about just connecting with the learners and being compassionate and have that empathy. That student had to pull me to the side and with tears in his eyes. And this boy was like six foot something. With tears in his eyes, he's saying, Miss White, I just don't know that I can do this. I've always been afraid. But in my class, he was acing everything. And I just said, listen, I said, you can do this. You got it. That's equity, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just when teachers take the time to really be intentional about what they're saying to students and how they're connecting. Because the problem that we're having is that there is also social disconnect. This is why people were also trying to incorporate some of these practices because when a teacher enters into a a classroom, especially if the students don't look like them, they're not from their particular background and they've had no prior knowledge to working with those learners, there's a system anxiety from the teacher as well and from the students. So right now, nationwide, we have about 80% of students or teachers are from the European descent, and 70% of learners are minorities. Mm -hmm. So there's a disconnect nationwide. So, how do we? Pop that elephant in the room? How do we pop that balloon? How do we get past all of the different discourses and silos that we live in and start working better together? How does how do we incorporate inclusion? And it's through some of these strategies because teachers were saying, Oh my gosh, I have a class full of students. I'm in a Title I school. These students are predominantly of, you know, minority descent, whatever, and I don't know how to connect with these kids. I don't know how to get them interested. Kids don't like me. The kids, you know, there's just so much disconnect, and I can't relate to them culturally. I don't know what to do feel stuck. So that is why people were like, you know what? This is how you can love on that kid. This is how you can incorporate, you know, different practices to help that child. That's why if you use Michael Jordan or Beyoncé or Jay-Z or or, you know, um, Ricky Martin or somebody, I don't know, like those kids are going to light up because they're going to say, "Whoa, you implemented my culture." I remember when when I was teaching, I had put f- flags of different cultural backgrounds, like maybe 30 different countries. And I was intentional about trying to include every, you know, representation in my class, but long story short, Those kids from like different backgrounds would come in and they would see that and light up. They say, Oh my gosh, Miss, that's that's my my flag. flag. That's my flag. Yeah. And they loved my class and they did stellar. They did amazing. That is why. It's because we care for our babies. That's Mm -hmm. it. We're not trying to harm anyone, you know? So
0: I, I think that so much of what we're seeing happening out of the Florida state government right now is an attempt to limit to limit people, to have one viewpoint, to have one per style, one culture, one, you know, and, and not to respect, um, you know, the varied, you know, soup of, of, of the people in our state. I don't
1: know. What do you think about that, Reagan? Well, it, it makes me wonder what is, if this is the path that we're going down, where we can't talk to our children, what does this mean for the future of the children in this state? How are they going to be competitive? I mean, there are kids here who want to go to Harvard, who want to move, you know, who want to go to these schools. They have dreams and ambitions. And if we have stifled all conversation, what what does that mean? And, And I listened to your equity example, and it's great talking about the different cultures, but it's also... If you take it back a little bit further and you say, even just putting like a sporting, you know, like, oh, f- a football player in there, yeah. that's going to touch a kid. And that has nothing to do with race. Right. It's just meeting kids. And and that's what's the beauty of teaching. And right now, you know, what I'm seeing and hearing from teachers is they're afraid. They're afraid to say anything. It's
0: Yeah. And let me just point out that in trying to put this show together, I had a great deal of difficulty finding um, educators who were currently in the system, uh, who uh, you know would agree to talk about these issues publicly on the radio, and I can't help but think that it has something to do with the the state's attempt to punish um, both the professors who came forward at the University of Florida to testify in the litigation over the mask mandates before their. Uh, and also the uh the republicans attempt to modify tenure um you know for those professors or professors generally so that they could you know get rid of any dissenting voices from the orthodoxy of the republican leadership and also because of the punishment of the school districts that that the the state government tried to promulgate uh, against those large school districts like Hillsboro uh, that that put forward a mask mandate during you know the throes of covid right you know you 'll recall that the governor said well we 're going to take funding away from those districts as a way to punish them and of course now we 've seen the same thing happen to Disney who spoke out against this uh, you know the position of the state legislature with this uh, you know, erasure of LGBTQ kids in in schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things that the government has tried to do to punish any entity or or person or professional that's in a position of working for the state or getting funding from the state who tries to speak out. Now I gotta worry about WMNF too. <laughs> but but it's it's you know it's pretty frightening that we are moving closer and closer toward an autocratic form of government in Florida. Um, I have a call here from Cork in Sarasota. Cork, I'm going to let you take over, because before I create problems for the station and its license, I'm going to let you speak up. So you're on the air.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, interesting listening to the program here. And um, I don't know, I just have a little something that is kind of on the edge of all of this that, Uh, The whole thing of some kids feeling badly in school if they teach something. And, uh, you know, human beings can always find ways to somehow like some of them and to, to like them and then not liking people who seem different. And whites do that to other whites. Blacks can do that to other blacks. Browns can do that to other browns. Uh, In China and India, the same thing. So that this whole thing about people not treating each other well is is in there. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's not treating everybody else well, but there is a lot of that that goes on. And so that kids, to me, could realize that it's the whole human race that kind of can get into these things and do things that aren't too nice to other people. Even within their own group.
0: Well, don't you think, Cork, that school is a perfect opportunity for kids to learn, to get along, to, to get along and to communicate with and to respect uh, kids from different backgrounds, different cultures who don't look like them? I mean, you know, we have this The school is mandatory for kids up to what, age 16, I think. So, you know, it's the perfect opportunity for 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 hopefully inculcating them with some respect for others.
3: Well, yeah, I I think sometimes maybe putting on the basis of national or racial groups or whatever, uh, and to kind of realize that within one person's group, there are people who don't like people in that same group. And my mother used to say this, I don't know how many times, years ago. She said there's two people sitting around fellows and they're kind of talking about the world situation and one says to the other you know everybody in the world is just crazy and then he stops and thinks a second he says except b and z but sometimes i do wonder about b all right
0: well all right thank you for your your well, call okay. cork i appreciate your perspective thanks for calling in i have a call from uh, ron in mango too ron you're on the air Ron and Mango, you with us?
4: Yes, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can now.
4: Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Well, thanks for having the show, first of all. And uh, to stay along the lines that you're uh, trading right now,
3: uh, as being an African American and going through school system and the first integrated schools, I always felt that it was a problem because they had to integrate. So uh, my thing is that it's been retaliation. You know, that's the word. And that's the legal form, you know, that we need to be taken against all these authoritarians. They're retaliating because you're going straight, and they don't want that. So that's all. I got a, a yelling grandkid. Well. Okay.
0: okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Ron, and thanks for calling in with thanks. your, with your uh, thoughts. Appreciate it. Um, well, you know, Ron thinks that all of this from the state is a, a measure of a retaliation. And, uh, you know, I... I don't know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really understand why, um, you know, the state is doing all this, other than as a form of, you know, self protection, because we are a diverse state. And because, you know, people different from these old white male or young white males who pretty much run. You know the state now and have for the last couple decades. You know, it's almost like they want to erase the existence of people that are not like them, Um, and and we're seeing that you know throughout the country. It's not just in Florida. It's it's you know we've we've been going through this since frankly the Trump administration. Has unleashed these demons of prejudice and bigotry and and uh, you know hatefulness, and it's it's quite dispiriting. And um, so to think that we're taking our youngest citizens and you know leaving them without the tools, potentially leaving them without the tools to to come together to make things better, to show respect for people that are different from them, to try to understand. Um, and even if you can't understand to at least respect, you know, the different cultural experiences, the different life experiences of people different from them, it's, it's just it's very dispiriting. Um, and I, you know, I find it, it extremely upsetting. Um, and I wonder, you know, what is it that we can do? Um, what is it that the citizens of Florida can do if they don't agree you know, with the direction that that the State Department of Education is going in. Um, We've got uh, another email from, uh, uh, well, (laughs) yeah, I guess this is appropriate. This email says, the Republican Florida state government is engaging in Nazi scapegoating to scare their base into line. They are attempting to install apartheid in the USA. Well, you know that's a little extreme, but um, it certainly is um, something that we need to be aware of. Well, we we are. I, I wonder if either of you can quickly give me some ideas for what citizens of Florida can do. Um, with respect to these issues, particularly with the math curriculum. I believe that since it is the responsibility of the local school districts to pick the instructional materials, one of the things I think we can all agree on is that if you're a parent, or even if you're not, your, your, your tax dollars are paying for the school system here, you know, engage with your local school system, engage with your local school boards, and make your positions known. I see both my guests are nodding vigorously <laughs> here
1: in the studio on that. Do you have anything you want to add very quickly? I, to- I would definitely say engage. And you don't, I mean, it would be lovely if we, if we could show up more at school board meetings, but... Or in elections. <laughs> could, definitely show please show up, up, up in, in elections, elections, but, you know, reach out to your legislators, share your feelings with them, talk to your teachers, support your teachers, support your, you know, your local school boards um, and, and, and the work that they do. Dr. White, anything very quickly? Yes, I, I agree
2: with that. And I also feel like, you know, knowledge is power. So as parents, just continuing to inform your learners, your child of, you know, their reality and what's going on and continuing in optimism and in its spirit of inclusion where we are better together. And so whenever you're seeing the divide, trying to hop you know, trying to happen, be intentional about providing opportunity to all learners in, in particular, your child and opportunities for growth, opportunities for connecting with people that are diverse, opportunities for working with people that are diverse and celebrating uh, people that are different from you, because that is where America is heading. We're heading towards being better together and towards inclusion.
0: And the world would be so boring if we were all exactly the same. Um, all right. I want to thank my guests today, Dr. India White, a local educational consultant and motivational speaker, among many other things. She wears many hats. Uh, And Reagan Miller, a public school parent working with the Florida Freedom to Read Project. I appreciate you both coming to talk with us today. And for you all, I appreciate all of our listeners for from WMNF who are with us today I would urge you to pay attention to the giving uh pledge which is on your um WMNF.org website I want to thank Jessica Green for our sound and Barbara Fling for our phone screening please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss next after the NPR news we are WMNF Tampa we'll be back next week
4: thank you